Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Um, All right, well, we are starting a brand new series today, and it is a series that I have been really excited about since last year. We actually, we think ahead around here, which I know is just crazy, Um, but uh, we had this planned for the fall, Um, but as we neared the fall and COVID was still a reality for all of us, it felt really inappropriate to do this series in the fall because people were still kind of traumatized and stuff, and so we decided to hold off a little bit on it and do some more, you know, mending, healing, hopeful kind of things, Uh, but now it feels like the the right time to dig our teeth into this series. And I'm, I've been really excited about it since last year. I feel like I got some pent up preaching aggression for this series. So uh, it's gonna be um, a really good time as we get into this. And uh, I feel like I have to give a bit of a warning um, a disclaimer. Actually, no, let's call it a warning. You know, like, like the Surgeon General warnings on the side of medications that are like, you know, this might cause some discomfort, some nausea, some upset stomach. Uh, I feel like I have to give one of those kinds of warnings as we get into this series because uh, today we are gonna be looking at the book of 1 John and we're gonna continue to do that for the next couple of weeks. And all of the expository people in, in the church were like, thank God, finally, a book study. Oh, we can exposit the word and exegete the word and I'm sick and tired of all of these topical sermons. Thank you for finally doing something spiritual for once, Pastor Tim. And to you I say, You're welcome, we are gonna do this. But to the 85 or 95% of our church that don't know what exegete means, (laughs) you're the reason we do topical sermons as well around here, because we love everybody, the book people and the topical people. But but here's the deal, as we get into this book of 1 John, it is not a feel-good kind of book. This is not the kind of book that's gonna pat you on the back and make you feel like you're doing okay. Uh, This is not a sugar-coating kind of message. The book of 1 John is very in your face. It, It is a lot of truth. And its aim is for all of us to take a nice, long, hard look at the man in the mirror and ask him if he needs to change any of his ways. It is one of those kinds of books. I've always been somewhat fascinated with the dichotomous tone of the New Testament authors. As you read through the New Testament and you look at the different apostles that have written these letters, there's a different tone from each and every single one of them. Some of them seem to lean very heavily on the grace and forgiveness side of things. Others seem to lean very heavily on the obedience and the fruit production and a life that looks consistent with repentance side of things. And what's interesting is the guys who fall into that camp were the ones who walked with Jesus. And I always find it interesting that they were the ones that were more apt to tell you we need to adhere to what the word of God has to say, while Paul is over here like, no, it's forgiveness and it's flowers a lot of the time. You know, it's, it's a completely different world. Like Paul will say, you know, uh, it's, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith and this is a gift from God, not of yourself, lest anyone should boast. No works, it's not about your works. And then James comes by a couple of, of, of books later and he's like, hey, faith without works is actually dead. <laughs> like you can tell me you've got faith, but you're living like hell right now and there's no reason for you to think you have any faith. You should actually live a lifestyle that looks like you have some faith. You tell me you got faith, well, I'll tell you what, I'll show you by my works that I truly have a faith. So, so which is it? is it? Is it grace or is it faith? Is it, or excuse me, grace or is it, is it truth? Is it, is it faith or is it works? And the answer is yes, it's both. <laughs> it's not one or the other. They're not mutually exclusive. It's very dangerous to pick and choose books and scriptures out of the Bible and build an entire theology around it because it's both and. 
It's grace and truth. It's faith and works. The Bible says in, in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a brand new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. If you are truly in Christ, there's some old stuff that should be dying and some new stuff that should be produced in your life. Your life should look a little bit different than it did before. If it doesn't, it should cause a question. Am I truly in Christ. Somebody smile at me. <laughs> Thus the tension and the awkwardness of this book. As we get into it, it's going to feel a little bit like, whoa, he said what? But it's for the purpose of assessing where we're at and determining like, am I truly living a life according to the calling that God has given me, according to the faith that God has entrusted to me? And so to make things even more awkward, we've given it a very awkward title somewhat provocative, one might say. And uh, this title is actually kind of the theme of the author of the book as well. But we're calling this series, Am I Going to Heaven? <laughs> Do you feel the air leave the room the second I said that? That was great, wasn't it? Did it feel like that in your living room? All of a sudden, everyone like stoved up, like, whoa, wait, what did you just ask me? Are you, are you going to heaven? I think that is a question that every single person in humanity wrestles with at some point. Even the atheists and the agnostic, everybody comes to this point where they have to answer a question for themselves. Is eternity real? And if it is, where am I going to spend eternity? Everyone's had that moment. I had that moment a whole lot when I was growing up. I, was, I grew up in church and I went to church every single week for youth group and every single Sunday for church. I didn't live like it, but I went there. It was a place that I attended occasionally. And I remember every single week being faced with this question, am I going to heaven? Because I had one of those, and I feel like they trained pastors to do this in the 90s. It was like, this is how you do an altar call. And so every pastor did it the same way. But this was, this was the inevitable uh, uh, sentence that spewed from my youth pastor's mouth every single Wednesday night. He'd say, now, if you're here today and you were to walk out these doors and you were to get hit by a truck as you were coming down the road and you were to die tonight, would you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were going to heaven? And every time my pastor said that, two things came to mind. Number one, I was like, who is this guy out here driving a truck hitting teenagers every single week? Like, we keep talking about this dude. If he's out there killing people, shouldn't we tell the police that there is somebody in a pickup truck that's running over teenagers? Like, this is a problem, somebody. That's why I have a deep-seated fear of pickup trucks, even as a nearly 40-year-old man. Here I am. <laughs> but the second thought that came to mind every time my pastor would ask that question is, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know if I got hit by a truck tonight that I, I would end up in eternity with Jesus. I, I was not secure in my salvation. And the reason I wasn't secure in my salvation is because there was quite a bit of difference between my lifestyle and the lifestyle that scripture told me I should be living as someone who had accepted Christ. I was eternally insecure because of my lifestyle. And I wonder if there might be some people that have that same eternal insecurity in our church right now. I wonder if there's some people that if I concluded this sermon today and I said, if you were to walk out your front door and get hit by an F-250, would you hang out with Jesus? If you would say, I don't know. And if you would say, I I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Well, I really do believe that this series is going to equip us to answer that question confidently. Yes, I know that I am going to heaven. So our, our main scripture that we're going to be looking at for the next couple of weeks, kind of the launching pad every week, is found in the conclusion of John's letter in 1 John chapter 5, 
verse 13. And here's where he synopsizes the entire purpose for this letter. He says in, in 1 John 5, 13, my purpose in writing this letter is simply this, that you who believe in God's son will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality and not the illusion. He didn't say, I'm writing this letter to a group of unbelievers that don't know Jesus so that I could introduce you to your savior. He said, I'm writing this to those of you who believe in God's son so that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your eternity is secure. That's what I want you to know. The whole four and a half chapters before that sentence is aimed at eternal assurance. It's establishing something steadfast in the heart of a believer that says, I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm gonna be with Jesus for eternity. In fact, that word know in the Greek, it's a very important word because it explains, again, the purpose of this writing to the believers. In the Greek, it is the word edo, and it means to discover by inspection or examination. Unlike gnosko, which is commonly what's used in the Greek in the New Testament, which means to have an intimate relationship with somebody, rather, John is saying here, I want you to do some inspection. I want you to do some examination. I'm gonna write this letter to you, and then I want you to look at your life, and I want you to look at this letter and determine if there are some discrepancies. And upon inspection, if you find that there's some stuff out of whack, then it's a great opportunity for you to realign with what the word of God has to say about living this life. And John and I, we have a very similar heart in this matter. I consider it one of my greatest responsibilities to present the word to you every single week in such a way that you examine your life to determine, am I living the way that I should be living? As a teacher of the word of God, I am doubly responsible for every word that comes out of my mouth over this microphone. It's a terrifying thought. <laughs> And I consider it one of the greatest responsibilities as a pastor. If I'm your pastor and this is your church, my, one of my greatest jobs is to prepare you for eternity. It's to prepare you for that moment where you're gonna stand before Jesus and you're gonna give an account for your life. And when he looks at you and says, what did you do with those days that I gave you on planet earth? What did you do with my son Jesus? I want you to have the right answer. One of the most terrifying scriptures in the entire Bible for me is Matthew chapter seven, verse 22, where Jesus himself says, many are gonna say to me on that, on that day, Lord, Lord, uh, or, 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 many who've called me Lord uh, are not gonna be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually did the will of my father while they were on earth. And they're gonna say, God, we did all this Christian stuff. Like we went to church. I had the fish on the back of my car. I listened to Hillsong. I even dipped into Caleb a little bit. Like I did the Christian stuff. And Jesus is gonna look at you and he's gonna say, yeah, but you need to depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I, we didn't actually have a legitimate relationship. That verse terrifies me. And the reason that verse terrifies me is because it's not written to unredeemed people. It's not written to people who've never been introduced to Jesus. It is written to Christians. Many are gonna say to me on that day, hey, I did all this stuff. I went to church. But Jesus is gonna say, hey, your faith was illegitimate. Come on, as long as I have breath in my lungs and as long as we have the word of God to guide us, I am going to do my best every single week to ensure that your faith is legitimate, that you could stand on a firm foundation and you can declare, I know that I'm going to heaven beyond a shadow of a doubt because I've surrendered my life to Jesus and I am living a life according to his word. All right, that was the longest introduction to a series ever. So here's my vow. I'm gonna shorten the message today, all right? It'll be a shorter message, but I really wanted to make sure we established the right foundation as we got into this. So 
If you got a Bible, again, turn to the book of 1 John, and we're gonna look at one of the first statements that John makes in this book, our first mirror moment, if you will. And it's in 1 John chapter 1, verse five. Here's what he says. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship, that is to be in relationship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, I wanna be in the light as you are in the... Any DC Talk people? Okay. <laughs> Two of us. Awesome. Okay. That's when you know you're in the right church, when people did not grow up listening to DC Talk because they've all been saved recently. God spared you for this moment in history. You missed a lot of horrible music. Welcome to the good side. All right, here we go. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. We're gonna talk about getting in the light a little bit today. If you're taking notes, I wanna title this chat, Live in the Light. You guys ready? Let me pray briefly and we're gonna get into it. Ready? Jesus, help. Amen. All right. I took up so much time at the beginning. That's all we got, all right? Okay, so we're all grown adults here for the most part. And you're probably a grown adult for the most part watching today. But, you know, you pay your taxes. You drink your coffee in the morning. You shave. You're an adult. But I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest about this. Is anybody, maybe even just a little bit, even though you're an adult, still kind of sort of afraid of the dark? Anybody willing to admit that? Okay, facts. Okay, I got, I got a few people raising hands. So you can raise your hand in your living room. That's fine as well, yeah. I'm a grown adult, and I've shared a few times from the stage that yes, I do not like the dark. I'm, I'm not a big fan. And, and I think it's because, well, there's a lot of reasons I don't like the dark, but deception happens in the dark pretty easily. You can get things distorted. You lose your ability to like rationalize things in the dark. Isn't that true? Like I can rationalize in the light sounds and experiences and I can make sense of it, but the second it's dark, all of that stuff gets thrown out the window. All rationale gets thrown out the window. Like, if I'm in my house and a tree branch just starts knocking up against my window, I can rationalize and go, oh, there's a tree in my backyard, and occasionally when the wind blows, it taps up against the window. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning, that same sound, I'm like, babe, 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 babe. Does that sound like a butcher knife to you, tapping up against the window? That's definitely a butcher knife. There is a serial killer outside right now. Call the police. Like, all rationale gets thrown out the window <laughs> in the dark, right? Or, or if you're walking down the street in the daylight and somebody happens to be following behind you 50 yards away, you can rationalize, oh, this person is probably walking in the same direction that I am. We are on a walking path going around Lake Merced. It's a normal thing for somebody else to be walking behind me. Now, fast forward till midnight. Nope stalker chasing you down, ready to follow you home, slice and dice you, all right? That's, that's what's about to happen. Yeah, the darkness always distorts things. My wife, um, she, she has this cat that I allow to live in our household with us. And uh, the cat's name is Samantha because my wife likes to name our animals human names. Uh, and actually, I just discovered this week she had a hamster when she was a kid that she named Chris. Uh, so... <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but 
Recently, she purchased an item for her cat, and it is a robot that feeds the cat at certain intervals throughout the day so that she doesn't forget to feed it. Not like a robot robot, but like, you know, it dispenses food for the cat. And, and one of the features of this cat robot is that you can record your voice onto this robot and beckon your feline during dinner time and lunch time and meal time. And so my wife, being the loving cat mother that she is, uh, it sounded like an insult, you loving cat mother. Uh, <laughs> She recorded her voice, and because I love all of you and I want to embarrass her, I've recorded right here on my phone my wife's voice calling to her cat from this robotic cat feeder. Check this out. So that goes off all day long at my house. Now, when I am in the light and it's daytime and I'm upstairs and that robot calls for the cat to come eat in the basement, I can rationalize that is my wife feeding her cat from a robot. Like, not that there's anything rational about that statement at all, but I can rationalize that that is what's happening. However, last week, about 2.30 in the morning, I'm thirsty. I go out into the kitchen, get myself a glass of water because I'm a grown man, I can do that. Mid-sip, I hear a woman's voice from the basement. <laughs> like, oh dear Jesus, somebody is being murdered in my basement right now. All rationale gets thrown out the window. Why? Because it's dark. The darkness always distorts. Things don't make sense in the dark. I hate the dark. And if I am given the, the choice to live in the light or to live in the darkness, I'm going to choose the light every single time. And I'm going to assume that you would choose the light every single time. At least I'd like to hope to think that we would choose the light every single time. But John seems to think that as we've been given this choice between light and darkness, often, yes, even as believers, we don't choose the light. Often, even as believers who have called upon the name of Jesus and show up to church on a Sunday morning can find themselves choosing darkness. They, they, they walk into these areas of the shadows rather than living in the light. So, so let's dig in a little bit to what John is saying here because that's a pretty massive assumption on somebody's part and he better be able to back that up with a little bit of evidence. He, he starts out this whole ordeal by establishing a, an imperative truth that we all must understand because without this first truth, the remainder of what he's about to say isn't going to make any sense. He starts off in, in 1 John 1, 5 saying this, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Translation, here's what he's saying. Light is not a location. Light is a person. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The Bible says that at the beginning of time in the book of Genesis that the earth was formless and it was void and darkness covered the earth. 
And then one moment, God shows up and he speaks a word. And when God speaks a word, he says, let there be light, suddenly, illumination. The darkness is dealt with once and for all. Upon his arrival, in his presence, everything was illuminated. It isn't that when God shows up, there is less darkness. It isn't that when we follow Jesus, we are less involved in darkness. No, he is light. Where he is, darkness cannot exist. And John says to be in him is to be in the light. It's not that there can be any kind of an oxymoron here where I can live in the light and I can live. No, if you are with God, you are in the light, period. Now, he, he starts very intentionally establishing this truth that God is light because we have to understand that everywhere God is, there is light and there is no darkness before he begins to introduce us to this next thought. He goes on to say in the next verse, verse six, since God is light, if we claim to have fellowship with him, but then we walk into the darkness, we're liars and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we're also lying. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are not living out the truth. Are, are you picking up what John's putting down here? You mopping up what he's spilling right here? <laughs> it, this, this, is, this is a massive statement. He is not mincing any words right here. This is a clear and bold statement. He's saying it is impossible for you to claim to be walking with Jesus and to simultaneously be walking in the dark. Again, it's not just an oxymoron, it's literally impossible. If God is light and you are with God, then you will not be walking in darkness, period. Now, let me, let me offer a little bit of help because someone's getting a little sweaty right now. You're thinking, oh crap, I'm not even saved. Okay, it's <laughs> not my hope. Let me, let me explain what John is not saying right now and what he is saying, because what he's not saying is very important. John is not saying that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will never sin. That is not what John is saying, okay? He is not setting some unachievable standard of holiness and perfection, as if to say, if you ever sin, then you've got hell stored up for you in eternity. That's not what he's saying at all. If he were saying that, then verse eight would not make any sense, where he says, if you claim to not have any sin, you're lying, right? He wouldn't need to put that in there if we're supposed to be without sin. And verse nine wouldn't make any sense. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all. We would have no reason to ask for forgiveness or be purified if we did not sin. So he's not holding up this, this impossible standard for us to measure up to. That's not what he's saying. The imperative word here, or in fact, maybe the better way to say it, the imperative verb here is the word to walk. He said anybody who claims to be in fellowship with God but walks in darkness is not living out the truth. Now that word walk in the Greek, again, an important word because it actually doesn't mean to walk. In reality, it means to live. Speaking about a lifestyle here, look at what the uh, theologian David Guzik says. He says, when John speaks of walking in darkness, he indicates a pattern of living. This does not speak of an occasional lapse, but of a lifestyle. Another uh, theologian, William Barclay, he says it like this. 
This does not mean that a man must be perfect before he can have fellowship with God. If that were the case, we're all toast, we're shut out. But it does mean that he will spend his whole, I love this, his whole life in the awareness of his obligations, in the effort to fulfill them and the penitence when he fails. It will mean that he will never think that sin does not matter. It will mean that the nearer he comes to God, the more terrible sin will become to him. Come on, isn't that a great statement? To put simply what John is saying here, he's saying, if I continue to live repetitively and consciously in sin, I am deceived. If I know the right thing to do, but I continue to choose of my own volition to do the wrong thing, then I need to question whether or not there's legitimacy to my claim that I am in fact a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a choice to live a lifestyle of repetitive sin. Uh, let me give you a somewhat barbaric but potentially helpful example or illustration of this. Uh, let's pretend that um, I claimed to be the greatest pianist that ever lived. I am, I am the piano player of all piano players. And I sit up here and I pull out a grand piano and I play some overture or symphony or whatever piano players play. <laughs> and I'm going for it and it's amazing. Eventually, if I play long enough, even if I'm the greatest piano player on planet earth, I'm going to make a mistake. I'm gonna, don't say it like that. <laughs> right. I'm going to hit the wrong chord. I'm gonna play a D instead of a C or something. It's inevitable. Now, I'm not proud of the fact that I played the wrong chord, but it's gonna happen. I know I'm not perfect. Perfection is an impossible standard. I'm going to fail on occasion. But I can still identify myself as a pianist because it's proven that the vast majority of what I'm doing indicates I know how to play the piano. Now, let's pretend that I claim to be a pianist, but I sit down to the piano and I can't play a single note right. All I do is play the wrong notes. You put a, a sheet of music in front of me and I have no idea how to read it, but I'm the greatest piano player that's ever lived. <laughs> I don't ever practice to get any better. I, I can't even muscle out a C chord. Eventually, you're gonna begin to question whether or not there's legitimacy to my claim. Is this guy truly a piano player or is he just claiming to be something that he's not? I, I don't qualify to be a piano player because I'm doing nothing that would indicate I'm invested in being who I am identifying as. And that's what John's saying to some extent here. He's not saying you have to live a perfect life, but he's saying you should know how to play the piano a little bit. You, sh you should be able to get a C or a D chord out there. You know, you've been at this for a little bit. Now, now let me offer this disclaimer because there's a lot of new believers in our church, okay? Someone's thinking to themselves right now, like, I just gave my life to Jesus like a couple of weeks ago, and am I expected to sit down at a piano and play Beethoven's Fifth? Like, I don't know how to do that. How am I supposed to be expected to do that? And I would say to you, you're not. Your pace is between you and Jesus. That is a massive conviction of my wife and I's. We are not here to rush anybody's pace or to micromanage someone's life, tell you you should be at a certain place. Your journey is your journey and that's between you and the Holy Spirit. When you stand before Jesus, you're gonna give an account for your life. I'm not gonna give an account for your life. So I'm not trying to rush anybody along the journey. 
And yes, the longer you're at this thing with Jesus, the more like him you're going to become. You are in a process called sanctification and you're gonna learn how to play a note and then a chord and then maybe a song. And before you know it, the longer you're in this journey with him, you're gonna become pretty good at doing this Jesus thing. It's how the journey works. The Bible says as we walk with him, we become more like him. Time in with him is ultimately going to result in us becoming more like him. So that's not who John's talking to right now. But there's some people that have been sitting at a piano bench for five years, for 10 years, and you can't even play Mary Had a Little Lamb yet. Paul said it like this in Hebrews chapter five. You should be further along by now. You should be teaching people the word of God. And here I have to keep coming back to you, teaching you the basics of your faith over and over and over again. I wanna give you steak, but you're still sucking on a baby bottle in the spirit. His words, not mine. And if you are the thumb twiddling Christian sitting at the piano bench, never making progress, John would come to you today and he would ask, hey, are you claiming to be something that maybe, maybe you're not really following up on? you're not really following through on? Are you actually living in the light or are you living in deception? And since we're posing awkward questions that make people feel uncomfortable, allow me to do the same. <laughs> Let me ask you today, as we consider this journey from darkness to light, light to darkness, are there any areas, if you were to survey your life right now, are there any areas in your life where you are willfully living in darkness. Let the weight of that sink in for just a moment. You know those moments when you're in worship and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and he's like, hey, son, daughter, let's, let's talk about that. Ah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ignore that for now. Hey, hey, you know that that's not right to do, right? Or you know you should do that. I don't, want, I don't wanna deal with that right now. Are there any areas in your life where you are willfully living in darkness? Because here's what I found as a believer, and I apologize if this is heavy, but this is important. I've found that it is very possible to become a visitor of the light while we remain residents of the darkness. Where we dip in and out of the light, but for the remainder of our life, we live in darkness. Let me show you what I mean. Um, production folks, could you turn off the, the lights back there for just a moment? So this is what life looked like for everybody at some point. We've all had a Genesis moment where our life was dark. It was formless. It was void. Without Jesus, there was no clarity. We didn't know where we were going, what we were doing. We felt lost. We felt discouraged. We felt depressed. And then maybe one day it was by invitation, someone walked us into a church or maybe we tuned in online and we saw a bus out on the back of a muni bus or whatever the case might be. And we heard about Jesus and we made a decision to give our lives over to him. And in that moment, according to the word of God, illumination took place. We walked into the light. And as we entered into this space of the light, we suddenly realized how desperately we needed to be here all along. In the light, there was joy. In the light, our, our depression 
and, and, and our anxiety and our worries begin to fade. In the light, my life began to make a little bit more sense and I had, I had this idea of calling and, and a hope for my future and everything wasn't so sad and discouraging and depressing and falling apart all the time. I felt like somebody was putting me back together and like, like a, a camper around a fire, which I hear they do, we wanted to stay by this light because as we neared him, it was like the light of his glory and his grace began to radiate off of our lives and this is the only place we wanted to be. I just wanna be where you are. This, is, this was our reality. But inevitably, at some point, whether it was days or weeks or months, suddenly a voice began to call to us from the darkness. It began to beckon us. Maybe it was the depression again. Maybe it was the relationship. Maybe it was that addiction or that pattern of sin that we weren't able to shake. And it began to call out to us from the darkness. Sam, Sam, Sam. <laughs> Begin to call out and it'd say, hey, why don't you walk back over here? And we had a decision to make. Am I going to stay here in the light or am I going to walk in darkness? And maybe in a moment of weakness, we, we walked away from the light and, and we wandered around in our darkness again for a little bit. We, we entered back into that toxic relationship. We in, indulged again in the grip of that addiction. But, but when we were here in the darkness, just as it was in the beginning, we discovered that there was a God that was for the one that would chase us down even in the midst of our darkness and would still beckon us by his Holy Spirit to come back to his light and so we did what John said we should do. We confessed our sins and he was faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us and we walked back into the light. Even though we were once afar off, now we drew close once again. But inevitably, that voice began to call again and again and again and again. And maybe we continued to make these journeys in and out of the light until one day we spent a little bit more time than we were used to spending out here in the darkness. And then suddenly that day turned into a week or a month and we said, you know what, I, I, I gotta get back to church. And so we ran over and we, we visited church but then we took up residency once again in the darkness. And then we, we visited the group, but then we, we ran back out into the darkness. And, oh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible today, and uh, I'm a couple of sentences in. Oh, my uh, Instagram. And then we walked back into the darkness. And, oh, I, you know, I'm gonna pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. My stuff is really going bad at work, and I really need your help, Jesus. Oh, and then tomorrow it all sorts itself out. Okay, I'm gonna go back into we do this dance in and out of the light 
We, we, we visit, but we take up residency in the dark. Suddenly, our faith is an activity and not our identity. And listen, if you are living there right now, let me be abundantly clear with you because I love you and I don't care if this hurts. There is no such thing as dual residency in the kingdom. You cannot live in the light and in the darkness and expect that everything is gonna turn out okay for eternity. We'll talk about this a little bit more in chapter two of this book. But we cannot befriend the world. We cannot be infatuated with the world and make spiritual love to the world and then expect that we are going to end up one day in eternity with Christ as if we did not live our lives the way that we lived our lives. The reality of our faith is that we must all come to a place where we make a steadfast decision that this is where I'm going to live. I am not going to live in the darkness any longer. I'm gonna set up a firm foundation. I know that there's joy here and there's purpose here and there's hope here and everything I need is found in the presence of Jesus. So as for me and my house, this is where we're gonna live. I'm gonna walk in the light and I'm gonna stop wandering around in the darkness. You must come to this place where you determine this is home for me. This is not an activity. This is my identity. I am a child of the light. You guys can turn the lights back on back there. Now, this is the invitation that John makes to us. The band, you guys can come as we conclude today. But this is the invitation that's being made. An invitation to not just visit, but to live in the light. So let me pose that question one more time. Are there areas of your life where you are willingly choosing to live in darkness? If so, this is your Edo moment. This is your inspection examination moment where you look at that person in the mirror and you say, this is not how I'm gonna live any longer. I'm not doing the dance back and forth. I'm setting up a foundation in the light. That, that's the beauty. In fact, that's the good news of this little portion of scripture. It doesn't end with, well, you're lying to yourself and deceiving yourself. Here's how he ends it. He says, hey, if you would just confess your sin, if you would just be real and acknowledge the fact that that's the dance you're doing right now, confess it, tell God, he already knows. And if you'll confess it, he is faithful and he is he's just, and he will forgive you of that sin and he will purify you. That is, make you as if it never happened in the first place. He will purify you from all unrighteousness. Friends, that's the invitation today, to be honest with God about where you're at and to step back into the light. In fact, Jesus said it himself and John recorded it in John 8, 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know that that call to follow Jesus is not a one-time event. It really isn't. It's a daily thing, sometimes an hourly thing. Hey, come and follow me. Hey, come and follow me. Come and follow me again. Ask Peter who messed up really, really bad, denied Jesus three times. Jesus found him on the fishing boat once again. And you know what Jesus said to him? The same thing he said to him in the beginning. Come and follow me, Peter. I offered it to you then and I offer it to you now. Come and follow me and you do not have to walk in darkness. 
I don't care if this is the 50th time you've made that decision to follow Jesus today or if it's the first. Here's the invitation. Stop living in darkness and follow Jesus into the light today. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this invitation. Lord, we do not wanna be those that meander around for extended periods of time in the darkness and in deception and in distortion. We really wanna be children of the light. We wanna walk with you. We wanna come close to you. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this last moment of this service that you would begin to speak to every heart listening, watching right now. And if they find themselves in this narrative today, if they would identify as that person who's been coming in and out of the light, I pray right now by your spirit that you would draw them to yourself. In fact, if that's you, I wanna pray a very simple prayer with you. Whether it's a prayer of recommitment or first time commitment, I wanna pray this prayer with you today so that you could answer that question. Am I going to heaven? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Just say this in your heart after me today. Jesus, I give you my life. I thank you for giving your life for mine. I thank you for offering me the light so that I don't have to live in darkness. Today, I step into that light. I choose to follow you. And your promise right there, according to John 8, 12, is that if I follow you, I do not have to walk in darkness any longer. So I walk after you. Help me to be your disciple, to live by your word from this day forward until I see you in heaven, because that's where I'm gonna be in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for every person? making that decision today. Listen, if you're watching on the live stream right now and you just prayed that prayer, uh, I want you to hit the little button that's popping up in the chat right now that says, lift your hand. Um, acknowledge yourself. We wanna celebrate with you that this is uh, such a significant moment in your life. But more importantly, we wanna help you take your next steps. We wanna help you on this journey of what it looks like in becoming a disciple. We think the first 40 days of that journey are so important. So we've created something called First 40 where during those first 40 days, you have kind of a personal coach that's gonna teach you how to read the Bible and how to pray and the importance of godly community. And one of the first things they're gonna ask you about is if you've been water baptized. If you have not been water baptized, and you've made a decision to follow Jesus, that is your next step. And yes, we will baptize you, whether it's in the ocean or a bathtub or a spa, or just dump a bucket of water over you right now. We'll do whatever it takes in the middle of COVID because that is such a significant and supernatural moment. So if, you, if you've not been baptized, again, you can sign up right there. Um, if you're listening to this at a later date uh, or on the podcast and you made that decision, you can text us right now, TFHSF to 97,000 and you're gonna get a little card back right there in your phone. You can fill that out and we'll get that information to you as well. We'll put a Bible in your hand and get you started strong on this journey. Uh, for the rest of you guys, as we conclude today, there are some people, myself and my wife uh, as well, standing by and we would love to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything today, uh, click the little prayer button as it pops up in the live stream. Or if you're again, watching later or listening later, you can do that on our website. But we love you so much. Thank you for joining us today at church. And I look forward to seeing you for week two of Am I Going to Heaven next week. Have an amazing Sunday. We'll see you soon. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.